This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Psalms chapter 11, that is where we're at this morning. It is a really interesting Psalm and I'd like to look at it from a couple of perspectives. Main reason is because it's David and David is really what he's doing is he's talking about advice that he's receiving. He's getting advice from his friends and oftentimes, and David, pretty good friends, they called him his mighty men and he had as many as 500 of them, 500 uh, men who swore their life to him. And this was before he became king. This was after Saul died. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of in, indecision in the land. There's a lot of issues that have uh, popped up and come up. And there's, there's some people in Saul's family who are uh, beginning to try to take the, t- take the throne, even though Samuel had anointed David king long before that. And anytime when you have a situation, well, a lot like the coronavirus, a situation where uh, things like this are going on, there's a lot of advice givers out there. And the question is, when we look at the advice givers, we want to we look at it and say, are they giving him godly advice? And when we look at David, we want to see how David is receiving their advice. And oftentimes, people, off, a lot of people have opinions about what somebody should do. I found that my initial reaction sometimes is not the spiritual reaction. So sometimes when you ask me a question, I will give you an answer. Let's talk about that tomorrow, or I will get with you next week and we'll go over it. And the reason I do that is because now that you've given me that information, I need to make sure I process that information properly and that I don't give you a knee-jerk reaction that might be less than spiritual that might be less than the best, and that might be actually detrimental to you. And you, if you're in a room with people and people are talking, you'll hear people, well, you ought to, and I hear that a lot, and there's nothing wrong with that. In Alabama, it always starts with, well, you ought, but the truth is that what we ought to do is do what God is leading us to do in the midst of the situation, and, and that's not always discovered in the moment or in the momentary. And when we go to David, he says, in the Lord, I put my trust. Now he's opening up telling you that he doesn't trust his advisors, even though they're his friends. He doesn't always trust that the people around him are giving advice that is in God's interest, not David's interest. And that's really even more important for us to understand. Oftentimes we want to give advice we want to be good friends and we want to give advice in the best interest of our friend. That's what we want to do. We want to help them out and we want to give them the best advice for them. The truth is that's not the best advice. The best advice is the best advice for God. And what I mean by that, God's in the midst of this and advising your friend what God's interest is in this will always be the best for them. 
And sometimes what is perceived to be the best for the best for a person is not what God's actually doing. And God knows the future and he knows what's going on. And you always need to be, when you're giving advice to a friend, you always need to be building their faith in God. That's just the way it is. The, you should always be building or mounding up their faith in God because what will count the most for them in the momentary and in the future is that they hear what is in God's interest in this matter. What's in God's interest in this matter? Well, he says, he says, how can you say to my soul, and that is his passions, remember our soul is our intellect and our passions, flee up to the mountain, flee as a bird to your mountain, which means go and hide, run to your place of high. See, David had a place in the wilderness that they hid and they hid from Saul there several times. And it was a stronghold. It would have been a place where, especially with his warriors that were great warriors, it would have been a place where they would have been just easily, easily able to defend against thousands and maybe even tens of thousands. And so what he said was, uh, in the midst of this situation, when there is all this turmoil in the land, when the king has died and his son has died, who is Jonathan, who is uh, David's friend, in the middle of all that stuff, they say, you flee to your stronghold. The question is, is that good advice? Under a lot of circumstances, it would have been outstanding advice. The only problem was, is that David was anointed king of Israel. And if you flee to your stronghold in the midst of the people seeking out a king, you're going to not be in the position to take what God has placed on you as your position. And in certain situations, I say to myself in this coronavirus, because I, I'm approaching, I turned 48 this week and, and I'm not old by any means, but I'm not, I'm definitely not young. And, and all you got to do is just watch me. I, I don't jump around. I'm not as agile as I used to be. I don't need to really be playing backyard football anymore. I can just tell I, I don't have the, I don't, I, I don't have the agility I, I did even 10 years ago. I do remember when we were in Montgomery, our church had a, had a team in the citywide basketball league and there was upper league and lower league and, and we played in the upper league and my brother Matt played with us a lot. And of course, Brett. And then there were several other guys that were really good ball players. We had a great shooter. We had a guy from uh, the Midwest who played some small college basketball. And then we had uh, a center that was six foot seven and he played uh, tight end at Georgia Tech and we were good. We were really good and we played for the championship about two or three years and, and we won the city championship one year. And then all of a sudden, just one year after we had been, you know, you know, contenders in everything, we went two and eight. It's like we got old just all real quickly. And that happens. You just all of a sudden, you just lose it a little bit. And that's the way life, and my natural reaction was, I don't need to lose where I am. I need to just hide. But that's really not what God's put me in the position to do. He's put me in the position to, in my legal practice, to be with, to help people and, and in ministry, especially to help people. And I don't want to be out. I don't want to be by my, I don't want to be in isolation from people in the midst of a time when I might be needed. And the advice that might be given to me is, Chad, you need to hunker down. But the truth is the spiritual advice is I need to be a part of what's going on in people's lives as much as possible because of what God's done. And so it might be good advice from a human perspective for me to do one thing, but I need to hear what God's plan is. 
And in the midst of his plan, whether or not things go the way you want them to or not, in the middle of his plan, I know that there is, there's power there. He says, for look, the wicked bend their bow. And they're even saying, look, there's people out there to get, take, take you out. And that's basically, they got a gun to your head. The wicked uh, bend their bow means that there's people out there going to try to get, just because there's danger. And you, you need to hear this, especially in the times we live in. Just because there's danger out there does not mean that God is wanting to hide you. Sometimes in the midst of danger, God has ordained that moment for you to change and to make a difference in the world. And hiding is not it. And one of the things, especially since all the way back to 9-11 and even before that, one of the, one of the primary things that we want, the primary attributes we want for our society to be is safe. The truth is in the world we live in, and it has always been this way, and it will always be this way in the future, there is no true safety except for in the hands of God. There, safety is safety's illusional. And to think that anybody can provide you safety in a real is a fallacy. The government can't provide safety. In fact, the truth is the government doesn't provide safety. They, 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 you say the police try to protect and serve. They do try to protect and serve. But the truth is, in, in Dadeville, there's only a dozen, 18 police officers. They can't protect five, six, seven, eight thousand people. That's, that's not possible. They, they show up oftentimes and find the persons who are acting wrongly and put them in jail and that protects society from them. But they don't, can't protect you in the moment. And we shouldn't expect that they'd be able to be supermen and do that. Likewise, the government can't protect you. And the truth, safety is only found in the midst of God's will. And, and, and that's not safety from death or, or pain or suffering. That's, that's safety for, for, from an eternal perspective. And David needed to understand that. They, they, just because they have a gun to his head, just because he has a target on his back, didn't mean that he needed to flee. In fact, that meant he needed to stand up. He says, they make ready their arrow on the string and that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. What, what he's saying is there's people out there to get you and running and hiding is not the answer. And it's never going to be the answer. Running doesn't, doesn't get us to a place of being in the middle of God's will. Now, listen, I love to be by myself. I, I would rather be by myself most of the time anyway. I have Kathleen be there about half the time and then just me be by myself half the time. That would be just a wonderful life for me. And that's not the life that God has made for me. That is my own selfishness. And David doesn't need to, David doesn't need to do this. Now, there's some people who are very vulnerable in the midst of this illness and they do need to isolate themselves. Absolutely. They need to isolate themselves. If you told me, if, if you went and told my Aunt Ruth, who's 87 years, who has been in many ways my grandmother most of my life, if you went and told her, well, Aunt Ruth, we're going to let you live for five more years, but you really can't go out and do anything for five years. You just got to stay here and sit in this chair. Well, she, she'd just rather be dead. She, you know, what kind of life is that? There's a limit to any of these things. And, and especially when we're giving advice to people, there's a limit to things. And, and to logically think through that, is is of great importance. I do not want to live 50 more years if I have to live 50 more years in a cell. I do not want to live 50 more years in a cell. I don't want to reach the right old age of 98 alone. That's, that's not necessarily optimal for me or optimal for anybody else. He says, if the foundation are destroyed, 
what can the righteous do? What he's saying is if everything goes, if the foundations of everything dissipate and everything goes away, he asks the question, what are we to do? Are we to run and hide? Or are we to do what are we to seek out God's will in it? And have there been times in history past in 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 the Christian world where the foundations have been totally destroyed? Absolutely. Absolutely, the foundations have been totally destroyed. That if I started with Jesus and went all the way through the story of Christendom, the foundations of Jerusalem and Israel, where most of the people who were Christians were right at the, the spreading of the gospel, the Jews in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and took every stone from on top of the other. They burned it to the ground. They melted all the gold and the silver. And then they removed all the stones and picked it up in these giant puddles of, of metal that had been created by the fire. That was a huge destruction. It was a huge upheaval of society. And did that destroy Christianity? No, it did not. And, and, and then I can just go through time after time. They, the Roman Colosseum and they were burning and, 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 putting Christians to death in the Colosseums and burning them alive on poles in the streets of Rome. Was that an upheaval of the foundation of Christianity and the plan of God? Absolutely it was. I just, I can go through them just over and over and over again. And the truth is the foundations have been turned over and upheavaled every 100, 200 years. Anyway, that happens all the time. God remains the same and we should remain the same. He said, what can the righteous do? That's a good question. What do the righteous do? Well, the righteous or the just, they live by faith. Verse four, he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. What does David do when he, when the situation arrives and everything seems to be undermined and being totally changed? He goes back to the foundational principles of our faith, the fundamental ideas that we live by. And the first fundamental idea that we live by is God is sovereign. He sits on his holy hill. And if you place your trust in that first and foremost, then you, your decision-making starts with, the, with God at the top. And then it flows down to the things that need to be. And David, in the midst of all this, says, listen, God is in control. He's on his temple. He's on his holy hill. He knows what's going on. He says, when the foundations are shaking, what can the righteous do? First of all, we can realize God's in control. He says, the Lord's throne is in heaven. <laughs> I mean, isn't it good to know that you serve a God that you can go meet and he is still sitting on that throne, which he has been sitting on for eternity past? Isn't it good to know that you serve a God who is eternal, that you serve a God who is timeless, that you serve a God who's omnipotent, who's all-powerful, and he, he goes into that. His eyes behold, <laughs> his eyelids test the sons of men. What he's saying is God sees everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He sits on his throne. He's eternal, and he's omnipotent. And so when the foundations are shaken, when it seems like there's a target on my back, when there's fear to be had everywhere and it's being passed out by the bushel loads to everybody, when all that's going on and it seems like I am in the midst of disaster and turmoil, what should the righteous do? Realize that God is sovereign. Realize that God is all-powerful. Uh, 
He's omnipotent. Realize that he knows everything and he sees everything. He says, the Lord tests the righteous. What he's saying is, in the midst of these things, this is a time for God to test our faith. Righteousness comes by faith. Righteousness does not come by, by good works. Righteousness comes by faith, and he tests whether or not we trust him. He said, he's, he's telling these folks, you told me to flee. You told me to run because danger's right there. He said, I'm not running. He says, the Lord's in charge. And in these times are men and women tested and their righteousness determined. He says, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. He says, he's going to test us, but he's not, he's, he's going to detest them. Okay. He's, he detests the wicked. He's going to, but the righteous, he's not going to treat us like uh, little bitty babies. He's going to test us and grow us up. He says, he says, upon the wicked, he will rain coals. You think that everything in the midst of the foundations being shaken, you think that the naysayers and the nabobbers and the whiners and the moaners, you think God's going to, God's going to, God's going to uh, reward that? No, 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 no. You think those who are seeking their own will and their own power and their own authority, they're seeking uh, to set themselves up in front of him. You think God's going to allow that to go? No, God takes care of that kind of stuff. Trust me, in his own time and in his own will, and he's very effective and good at it. He says, the Lord, he says, upon the wicked, he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. That's pretty, that's bad. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I read that, bad, I think bad. Uh, he says, I'm going to rain coals. Fire and brimstone and burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Quit looking around and seeing what the ungodly are doing and fretting over it. Will you please stop doing that? Stop. Stop. I'd yell at you, but, you know, that wouldn't be kind. Stop worrying about what the, fretting over what the unrighteous do. Now, watch them. Notice them. It's okay. But quit whining about it. Quit worrying about it. God, God knows what the unrighteous do. God knows. Trust me. Trust me, if you see it, God saw it a long time ago. Okay. If I'm able to recognize something, I realize that God, he saw it. He always saw it. He always knew it. So I'm just now getting to the scene. I'm just now showing up. My mind's just now getting it. Okay. But God's mind's already, I always known it. So you let God handle them. Hand them over to him. Lord, David hands them over to him. Hand them over to God. Say, God, I don't know what to do about them. You handle them. You are good at handling the wicked. And by the way, we're not an instrument of his wrath. We're an instrument of his grace anyway. Uh, we're trophies of his grace, I, I like to say. We're, we're, we glorify his grace. And how, how he handles and deals with them is really not our work. It's his work. The Lord is righteous. He is. He loves righteousness. He loves our righteousness. He loves our, our faith in him, our trust in him. His countenance beholds the upright. At the end, I always uh, quote scripture and I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. What that means is may his countenance be on you. And, and the only way for his countenance to be on you is for you to be in his presence and be there to be in his countenance, trusting him.
And so I, when I, I want him to bless you and I want him to keep you uh, in the middle of his will, but I also want you to be in his countenance and be, be right there in front of him. And if you do that, if you're in the middle of his countenance and you're right there in front of him, then, then you're, you're right there in the middle of his best and you can hear from him and he can test you and make you into the uh, man or woman of God that he desires you to be. And this morning, that's our prayer. As we meet each morning and as we talk about his, we want to be people who, who realize that in the midst of trouble and difficulty and the storm, and especially when the foundations are being crumbled around, that we serve a sovereign God and that we are his trophies of grace or we are his instruments of grace in the world around us. And we don't need to shy away from that. We need to chase after that. And so I would encourage you that you would be doing that, that you would be chasing after him and becoming all that uh, he would He would have you be today. And don't let the darkness of the world overcome the light that is in you. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.